I'm Betsy Foldis-Myman, producer of Connectipod. For season three of Changing the Narrative, we are collaborating with the homeless youth that visit the drop-in center of the Village Family Services in North Hollywood. The Tay, transitional-aged youth ages 14 to 26 that are in our program, are bringing nuance and complexity to the stereotype of homeless youth. First, through interviews of their personal stories, and then later in the program with episodes that they make. Today, you'll meet Bianca Palmer. She is truly a kid you never would have expected to be homeless, trekking across the valley every day to attend El Camino, a school better than the one in her neighborhood. She participated in ROTC. She was getting great grades and participated in extracurriculars. She was on the track to college. She was doing it all on her own. But the new relationship that she thought was support became the undertow that brought her down but not for the count. Here's Bianca. Um, My name is Bianca Michelle Palmer. Your name is as beautiful as you are. Look, you're so sweet. You just emanate sweetness. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, so you seem, are you, you're housed now and you're secure now? Yes. I live in an apartment with my brother and my sister. We help take care of each other. Okay. And how old are you? I am 23. Oh, very cool. Uh, let's see. So, and, and how did you fall into homelessness? Um, so I grew up in foster care. And um, so pretty much I went through transitional housing and then just, yeah, I kind of lost like what I had because I was focusing on other things that I would rather have. <laughs> so ah. yeah, I just pretty much didn't prioritize my housing situation. I prioritized my friendships so that's how I ended up being homeless. When you say that with your friendships, is that what, is, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean like um, you were more interested in partying and hanging with your friends? Or does it mean like you were taking care of your friends? What does that mean to you? Um, you I was said- taking care of my boyfriend and um, I was, I just pretty much let him dictate what I was doing and whatever he says went and he said he would rather be homeless. <laughs> so I know, crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. But we do that. We give away our power. Why is yeah. that? Codependency, let me tell you. Yeah. That's my personal you, problem. Where do you think that comes from? Um, the way I grew up. And um, yeah, I've never had like really stable housing. I've always moved from my grandparents with my dad, with my mom and with you know, cousins. So I always felt the need to feel wanted, you know, and, um, or feel like I want to make someone happy, you know, so. Like their happiness is more important than your own. Yeah. I chose my career as a medical assistant. I'm in the medical field and that's partly because I'm codependent as well. I have acknowledged that. (laughs) I feel like I need to be around helping people all the time. I need to be part of a team and feeling like I'm helpful in a way. What happens when you don't feel helpful? Um, I, I turn to my coping skills. You know, I try to figure out some healthy alternatives. I paint. I like to sing. Um, I go for walks. I try to work out. And I reach out to my friends and, you know, I just, even though I don't feel loved or at the moment, I make sure I make other people feel loved. Like that's Mm. what I try to do when I feel that way. 
Wow. Yeah. What, what, what was your experience in foster care? Let's go there. Um, so my mom, she passed away when I was 16. So before that, I lived with my mom. Um, she was six. She had kidney failure. And she had that for probably like eight years before she passed away, before I was 16. And um, I had no recollection of that at all. So like they, I moved to my grandmother's house in Tennessee like my mom, she moved to California and away from like all her family. And she got sick with kidney failure. I moved with my cousins and I moved with my grandmother because my cousins, they didn't want to take care of me anymore. And my grandmother, she didn't want to take care of me anymore. So then I moved back to California with my mom. So then I kind of felt like like, she didn't really want me, you know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, she had to take me back. That's how I kind of felt. And so when she passed away at 16, or when I was 16, um, my sister was taking care of me, and she was, I felt like she was doing the bare minimum. She was newly married, and she had freshly moved out of my mom's home with her husband. So she wasn't really willing to take care of us or I didn't feel like I was getting the care that I needed. So I voluntarily went to foster care. There was um, my younger sister's mentor. She knew my mom when my mom was actually homeless at some point. So she agreed to take care of us and I... Like, I lived with her for about a year before I felt like she was a little controlling, <laughs> too controlling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably something I've always had a, a issue with, even with my own mother. So um, I voluntarily went into foster care. And honestly, foster care was a great experience for me. Um, I've only oh, that- lived with one foster family so what was your foster family like? yeah I feel very blessed because of that like I feel very blessed so I lived with um a married couple and they had been married their whole lives and um like their whole adulthood they've been together and they had four kids of their own and I pretty much kept the same foster brothers and sisters the entire time everyone wanted to stay with my foster parents they were very great very attentive and I really appreciate that I stayed with them for about two years until I turned 20 then I moved into transitional housing and then how did you go from transitional housing to the boyfriend that was like so yeah I let him come into my life and like he would hang out with all the neighbors or whatever you know and do drugs let me tell you I had no recollection of this at all it was beyond me I did not know he was doing drugs but they got into um like got on bad terms and he no longer felt comfortable there Mm -hmm. and um my transitional housing was not able to accommodate me and I you know I just let him tell me what to do and and so and is the is the boyfriend still around or no yeah good for you (laughs) thank you I really appreciate that because yeah that was tough that was very recent actually just just in January we were homeless so I know dang this year went by let me tell you really fast like 
Yeah. Cause before I knew it, I was homeless for like six months, you know? <laughs> Who would have Where were you where were you sleeping? And were you sleeping in shelters? Were you sleeping on the street? Uh, like, we, what would, were you guys- we would couch surf. We would go to his mom's house or his cousin's house or my sister's house or my other sister's house. Or we'll rent a hotel sometimes. Yeah. But you never did a shelter and you never did the street. No, because like he, I wanted to go to a shelter and he didn't want to. And so then what was the catalyst? What what changed for you? What made you have the strength to say, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me anymore. Just the aggressiveness and the character traits. And yeah, it just got more aggressive and more intense. And yeah, he he did like try to put his hands on me. And I was just like, okay. The emotional abuse and all that stuff was like, that didn't do it but like once it got physical it made you realize everything else is that what happened yeah because I think I was really numbing myself you know I was really really numb I was just like okay like hear nothing see nothing you know do nothing like so yeah and um and then just having the support of my brothers and sisters is really like really really important let me tell you if it's not yeah support is all that I can ask anyone for (laughs) and (laughs) yeah so just their support and their insight and now is this your your foster brothers and sisters um I still no my real brothers and sisters I still talk to a couple of my foster um sisters and they are really helpful too and they're really like here for me and they're really non-judgmental let me tell you like one thing I can really appreciate about the people that I have in my life is that um if we don't talk for a while it's okay and you know and I'm still here for you and it doesn't you know it doesn't matter why and you don't have I don't have to explain myself unconditional right yeah yeah good people are unconditional yeah right so when you went to live with your grandma where did you have other siblings that were still living with your mom? No. So uh, my mom, she had seven kids. And when we all went our own ways, we were all with different people. All around like Tennessee, all around California. And it was very hard to be in contact, like to get in contact with my family. Wow. And you said your mom was homeless before. So was mm-hmm. that when when your siblings were around or when she was on her own? She was by herself until she got established at the Dream Center. My younger sister was the first one she got back. And like my older sister, she was an adult already at the time. Mm-hmm. She stayed with her too at the Dream Center. What's the Dream Center? Oh, it's a um, it's a shelter in Los Angeles. It's a big uh-huh. shelter. Yeah. You haven't heard of it? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. I haven't. It's a, it's a really like great big shelter. Yeah. And so, and, and did you use drugs too or just your boyfriend? No, I've never done drugs. No, I'm scared. I'm so scared. <laughs> what um, makes you scared? I don't want to ruin my life and I feel like I'm very capable of living my best life. And I I am aiming to... Um, break generational curses my sister she was my closest sister growing up 
she is on meth right now and it hurts me very bad to see her like that it hurts like it hurts our whole family and how she just ruined her life and how she you know what I feel like I take it personal I have a niece she's in foster care now due to my sister being in on drugs and um, she has half custody with her dad and half custody with her foster parents. And um, like, I wanted to take custody of her and I was going through all this legal stuff and doing the best that I can to grow up the fastest I can, you know, so I could be the best that I can. And um, because she's on drugs and cause she's influenced, her priorities are in a different place or I guess she was questioning my intentions. So, uh yeah she she did everything in her power for me not to get her daughter so i'm just like uh, she's I'm just sorry. ruining everybody's life around her what drugs were you, was was your boyfriend doing when you were homeless meth. let me tell you like what's doing meth. who does that like you're a witness right because you didn't do the drug yourself what did you see happening with him Right. When when he would do meth, what did you see? He would just get agitated very easily, question everything, everything, everything. Like nothing would make sense to this man. Like when I tell you committed to misunderstanding, <laughs> committed. <laughs> I'm just like, bro, like it's not that deep. Um, just paranoid. And yeah. I don't even know you and I'm proud of you for like you. <laughs> not oh, doing gosh. that. Right. But to be able to to be able to turn it around. So Much. you're you're a medical assistant. Is that what yes. you're saying? You're doing it. Mm-hmm. OK, so how did you get to that point? How did you get to become a medical assistant? OK, so before I like when me and my ex-boyfriend, we were dating, I was in medical assistant school and um, he would come. He would come and help me like he helped me through medical assistant because I needed a patient, you know. So, yeah, I went through medical assistant school. He helped me. It was great. You know, I finished in time and it wasn't easy, but I did it and I was consistent. And yes. What does being a medical assistant mean? What do you do? Okay, so um, I would go in and um, I'll take my temperature and (laughs) I would um, I would just look at the schedule, see when our next or first patient is coming in and I'll wipe down all the equipment and I'll call the patient in, take their blood pressure, temperature, vital signs, and I'll look at their medical records, see, like, I'll just look at some keywords and see if they need any other tests like EKGs or, you know, something like that. And, um, yeah, whatever the doctor says, um, putting in data in the charts and just make sure I put all the patient information in before the patient's even out the door so I can just get it done and won't have to do it at the end of the day. Just pretty much help patients, listen to them, be patient and be fast at the same time, you know, be a patient to the patients and yeah, just bring positive energy. That's what I try to do, you know, like, cause I know the doctor is going to give the patient like barely any attention. So I do try to be attentive and just make sure they know my name and make sure I know their name and make sure I don't get it wrong. Wow, that's a whole personal face. Like th- that's so comforting when you go into a doctor, right? Because that's like you are—you're the face of the the practice right. almost. So, did you work at a private practice or did you work in a hospital setting? Okay, so yeah, the first one was a big clinic in North Hollywood, and then um, this one—I think it's—it's it's a private practice. 
practice. Yes. So I was working okay. for a vein treatment specialist. It, yeah, pretty big. It's called West Medical. We got commercials and stuff. It was cool. Like, oh, I've seen those commercials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I worked there at that place doing the vein treatment. And um, yeah, it was a private practice. Right. So you're so you're housed. You've got your medical assistant degree, mm-hmm. and now you're you're looking for a job within that. So you're you're really kind of you're doing okay. Yes, I am doing well. I've been taking this time to just take care of myself and my mental health. Let me tell you because I I feel like I was really really abandoning myself to be honest in my mental health. So i'm just Aban- yeah abandoning yourself and your mental health is what led you to that position um just caring like putting all myself into the workplace and just trying to put my best foot forward and like trying to work through my anxiety all the time and trying to pretend you know what i mean not being able to express myself or not being able like thinking that i'm getting an understanding and i'm really not you know hmm. So when you think when people think homeless, right? Mm-hmm. Like homeless youth. Yeah. What do you what do you think they think? Um, I think that they think we're like degenerates and that it can only be our fault. <laughs> and what would you say is the reality? Um, that everyone needs support and this government is not made for survival in all reality. <laughs> That's true. What would you what would you say to other people that are experiencing homelessness right now? Um, I think I would say be patient and have faith. And if you have faith, then you know that this is this is only temporary. <laughs> I just mm. want to say this is temp- it's temporary. And I would tell them that they are seen. We we see you. Eric Garcetti knows about us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you. speaking of Eric Garcetti, yes. he knows about you. What does he know about you? Oh, girl, I met Eric Garcetti myself. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go? It was well. You know, I just feel like he's a politician, <laughs> and I feel like he's kind of a pretender. He didn't have much to say, not much of an opinion for himself. Um. Eric Garcetti knows that he has power. He knows that he has a voice. I think he should really, I think he should really just try to take some time and be like humane. You know what I mean? Like take some time and step away from like being politically correct. Yeah, maybe he just needs to get a black woman in office. That's, that's <laughs> another one. Thanks, Camila, girl. Another one. <laughs> well, why not you, Bianca? Why not you? Yeah. Is that know. ever think you, anything you'd ever consider? Um, yeah, I'll consider it. Um, and just this year, like, I just decided, like, what I want to do with my career, you know? So, what do you want to do with your career? Um, I want to be a nurse practitioner. And I think you'd be um, amazing at that, actually. I really do. Like, your whole persona is so warm and welcoming. I think you'd be wonderful. (sighs) Thank you. Yeah, I just determined that this year, and I still don't know, like, a nurse practitioner and what, but I hear what you're saying. 
And I would definitely <laughs> consider, you know, being more, more of a social political person. <laughs> but what are the next steps to being a nurse practitioner? What do you have to do from here? Um, I'm going to take online classes. I'm going to take a step back. You know, I'm taking the time to humble myself, take my time. I'm realizing that I don't need to rush my life. You know, I'm only 23. And just because other people are doing it. So the next step, the point is, um, I'm just going to take online classes. I'm going to get any job I can take, you know, something that's not too stressful. I'm okay with not being a medical assistant right now to be honest with you, because where I want to be, um, it's going to take time and patience. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, so where are you going to, are you, you say you're in school now? Where are you in school now? Oh, no, I'm not in school, but I'm going to take online classes, online classes at Mission Community. At Mission Community. Mm-hmm. I see, like, I see such strength in you. You know, because it's not easy to take that on, right? It's not easy to take on, you know, I'm going to live completely differently. You know, I'm going to make this choice when you don't have that role model to do it because you have to make your own path completely, you know, and you have to trust yourself. And that's not easy when you've been looking to everybody else to guide you, right? Mm -hmm. Giving away your power, giving away your, you know, all of that. You'll get there. Keep keep trusting in yourself. You know, that's the biggest part. That's the biggest key is that you just got to, like, trust that you are worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. That yeah, you trust are, timing, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and your own value, you know? Yeah. It's hard to see your own value when you're giving away all your power. But you have it there. I see it in, in spades. So Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was so great meeting you. Uh, I want to talk to you all the time. <laughs> you can call me anytime, Bianca, <laughs> because because part of this, like if you're if you really want to be a part of this project, right? We're mm-hmm. we're going to be working, and you're going to be working with a mentor. But if we were in the classroom, we'd be hanging out, and you'd yeah. be able to call me and contact uh-huh. me and do all of that. So even though it's all virtual, I want you to know that you're a part of this project, and you can call us anytime. And and we, I would love to be able to do updates on how you're doing. Yeah. Right on how on how you're doing with the okay. nurse practitioner thing in school and mm-hmm. you know getting trying to get uh, custody of your niece and all of that. I would yeah. love to check in with you and and see how it's going for yeah. you. Thank you. Of course, you're so great. Yeah. Oh. Hang in there, Bianca. We're rooting for you. Bianca has chosen to do a music episode with two of the other Tay, Gal Alvarez and Philip Hargrow. We'll be bringing that to you soon. Support us if you happen to be flush and are so inclined via our link tree on Instagram. Our theme song is True by Haunted Horses NYC. Thanks for listening. <laughs>